If you can join me one more time in the Old Testament to 1 Samuel, looking at the 17th chapter. I thank Pastor Price for reading us that famous story we love so much about David and Goliath. He, he did the, the heavy lifting for me. So I am going to read verses 1 through 12. I am reading from the New Living Translation of God's Holy Word. I still hear some pages turning, so I will wait. And as we wait, I want to share that we are now in the 17th chapter. Previously in the 16th chapter, uh, we were introduced to David. Saul has been rejected as king. David has been anointed as king. I'll say that one more time. Saul has been rejected as king. David has been anointed as king. The plot thickens. First verse of the 17th chapter. If you're not there, say, hold on. Praise the Lord. If we, since we are all there, let us, say, let us begin. The Philistines now mustered their army for battle and camped between Socha and the Judah and Ezekah and the Ephesdemim. Saul countered by gathering his Israelite troops near the valley of Elah. So the Philistines and Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with the valley between them. Then Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leg armor and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. His armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight? He called. I am the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then, he will be your, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. Praise God for his words. You may be seated. Thank you for standing on the reading of God's word. I want to try to deal with the topic this morning, stepping up to face opposition. We see here in this text that Goliath has called out the army. And in this, I want us to grab that Goliath stands there challenging them, is there any man? Y'all see that, right? Is there any man willing to come out and face me? What I like this text also highlights there that they are in the hills camped but low in the valley where the battle's going to take place. And so 
in this text, I want to highlight to us in stepping up to face opposition, we know that David shows up, right? And we know David faces Goliath, right? And we know that David overcomes and beats Goliath, right? But one thing I want to highlight, before he even faced Goliath, he had oppositions he had to step up to. Can you join me here as we look through this? That Think about yourself when you step up to face opposition. There are many negative thoughts that may run through your brain. These negative thoughts have had assistance in their formation from you and from others. You have come, they may have come from past experiences that may have formed into, you, formed into your mind and have challenged you and, and made you doubt yourself and turned into personal doubt and fear. Fear of failure or fear of what others will say about you that you might fail because of this opposition. This fear may come from those who doubted you in the past and it lingers on in your mind and in your memory. They had doubts that you were never good enough, never pretty enough, never handsome enough, never could be loved enough. You could never be responsible enough. I'm talking to somebody here this morning. These doubts and fears will hinder you from accomplishing what you have been called to do by God. We need to remove these negative thoughts um, from us that will stifle us from one's condition to do problem solving and create and, and and since they stop us from doing problem solving it also creates depression and even will hurt your memory some of these negative thoughts are lies to us as Dr. Amen says for example I'm going to read to you a, a, an article it says this that I like it says we need to kill the ants tell your neighbor kill the ants ants stands for automatic negative thoughts that invade your brain. Dr. Daniel G. Amen says this, that, that I often teach my patients how to metaphorically kill their ants that invade their minds. Ants stand for automatic negative thoughts. The ants are automatic. They just happen. But they can ruin your whole day, maybe even your life. For example, I once treated a college student who was ready to drop out of school. He thought he was stupid because he didn't do well on tests. When his IQ intelligent level was tested, however, we discovered that he had an IQ of 135 in the superior range. He just wasn't a good test taker. I have identified nine different kinds of ant species or ways your thoughts can distort incoming information to make you feel bad. Here are four ant species. One is mind reading. Predicting you know that another person is thinking something negative about you without them telling you. I often tell my patients that a negative look from someone else may mean nothing more than he or she is constipated. <laughs> you don't know. You can't read minds. He goes on to say, I have 25 years of training of human behavior, and I still can't read anyone's mind. Is he talking to somebody here? Fortune telling another ant, predicting a bad outcome to a situation before it has occurred. Your mind makes, makes, makes happen what it sees, unconsciously predicting failure or often cause failure. For example, you say, I know I will fail the test, then you will likely not study hard enough and fail the test. Mm. Or always or never thinking. This is where you think in words like always, never, every time, or everyone. These thoughts are 
or overgeneralizations which can alter behavior. For example, I have a friend who asked out an attractive woman. She turned him down. He told himself that no one will ever go out with him again. This aunt prevented him from asking out anyone else for over nine months. You don't have to believe every thought that goes through your head. It is important to, to think about your thoughts to see if they help you or they hurt you. Unfortunately, if you never challenge your thoughts, you just believe them as if they were true. Ants can take over and infest your brain, develop a, an, an internal an anteater to hunt down and devour the negative thoughts that are running your life. But it's what these negative thoughts, he goes on to say too, that it impacts your brain. That when you have so many negative thoughts, it, and it stops your brain able to do problem solving. It messes up your emotions, so you're not logically thinking, you're running off the handle, and you became very moody. <laughs> Have you ever been with somebody who has so much negative thought that you try to give them a solution, but they couldn't hear you? Yeah. Now you know why. When you have negative thoughts, it hinders you and stops you from able to have positive intellectual problem solving, and then your emotions are out of whack. And look what happened. These doubts over time become bigger and may seem unchangeable and insurmountable. You heard so long you're not a good mother, a good father, you're not lovable, you're not cute, you're not pretty, you're not attractive, you're never going to get married. However, that is not true. Don't place your value on what others think of you or what you think of yourself or what you think they think of you, but let God show you your value. If you look at this text that David is now going to go and face Goliath, but I said he had to face opposition before. Do you understand that when Saul uh, was rejected as king, God told Samuel to go to Bethlehem to anoint another king? And when he went there, he went with Jesse and, told, and invited Jesse and all his sons. And so they go into the place, and they anoint everybody, they consecrate everybody, and they're sitting in there, and he sees Eliab walk in. He's oh, surely this is God's anointed, an older, attractive, handsome young man. And he says, nope, that's not him. God, man looks on the outward of him, but God looks on the inside. Tell your neighbor, I'm glad God looks on the inside. So, so, so Jesse had his sons there. Samuel realized that these were not it. So Samuel asked Jesse, is there any more sons? It came back to Jesse's mind. Oh, there's not a little boy out there in this, in this, you know, watching the sheep. Think about it. His dad forgot him. His dad did not even consider him to be the one to come before Samuel. So you can see that even in his family that there was doubt on the potential of young David. But God saw a little ruddy boy out there in the sheep, 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 dealing with the sheep out there and saying, call him in and say he is the one. Because once David walked in, Samuel was told to arise and anoint him. And the Spirit of the Lord fell upon him from that day on. And then we go find out that he was before Saul, and he was Saul's armor bearer, and he played for Saul. But now, but he's also a shepherd, so he went to Saul, and he goes back home to tend to the sheep. But now we pick up in the story that David's dad now sends him to go see his, his brothers. Verse 12, so now David was a son of the man named Jesse, an Ephraite from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. Jesse was an old man at the time, and he had eight sons. Jesse's three oldest sons... Eliab, Amnibad, and Shemiah had already joined Saul's army to fight the Philistines. 
David was the youngest son. David's three oldest brothers stayed with Saul's army. But David went back and forth. And so now Jesse says, I want to see how my sons are doing. So he tells them, one day Jesse said to David, take this basket of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread and carry them quickly to your brothers. So now he, he is dealt with the opposition that my dad then couldn't remember me when the great prophet Samuel came in. But I'm going to still be obedient, so I'm going to take care of the sheep and do these things. Now my dad is sending me to go after my older brothers and for me to go and give them something to eat while they're fighting in this army. But you realize, right, when he goes there, right, the army is riled up again because what? The, the giant came out again. And David sees what's going on. You see that? That he left everything with the guy. He said, hey, tell my stuff. And he goes into the ranks of the army. Y'all catch that? The shepherd boy with no armor, no gear, said, I want to see what's going on. Goes into the ranks of the army. And when he gets there, he's, his bro, he hears them talking about, man, uh, what's going on? Then his brothers look at him and saying, why are you here? Look, look what's happening here. His brother says, I know you. I know you are prideful. You are wicked at heart. And you just came to see the body. Look at that. God tells us that we read about that David is a man after his own heart, but his brothers looked at him with anger because of jealousy. The text that says that he became anger basically means that his nose fled. His whole countenance changed when he saw his little brother. Say, how dare you be here? Now look what David has to deal with. He says, what have I done now? Can I help somebody out? That means this wasn't the first time. He's been accused and been maligned by his brothers. And so he's been dealing with the same opposition of them telling him he's no good, he's evil, he's wicked, he's prideful. But look what David said, he turned away. Some of us need to realize that when people are giving you so much negativity, they're talking so much bad about you that you just need to turn away. He didn't argue with them. He just said, what did I do now? What's the cause for that? And he turned around and went back to what was on his mind. What's going on out there? Tell your neighbor, you need to be concerned about the greater. The lesser was them, his brother messed with him. The greater was somebody's out there defiling the kings, I mean defiling the, the, our, our king and the army of Israel. I'm not concerned about the pettiness that my brother has against me, but I am concerned because I've been anointed king. Hello, somebody. And I'm concerned about the children of Israel. So I'm going to let down this pettiness and not get into an argument with my older brother. But I'm just going to turn around and say, what did that boy out there say again? Do you see how he had to overcome this opposition that he did not focus on the negative? He could have wailed on and said, man, all I did is come to bring you something to eat. But he said, you know what, that's not even important anymore. I, I see something great going on. Sometimes we get caught up with so much negativity that we miss everything else that's around us. That we want to point out how, how, how things are feeling. We get these ants in our minds because we know we get those ants. Right? You look at somebody, look at you funny, you think there's something wrong with you. Is there a spot on there? Why they look at me like that? You know, we, get, we allow these niggas to stop us from doing what we are. Have you ever had, started doing something and you got bad news, you forgot what you were doing? That's what negativity does to us. It stifles us. It paralyzes us from doing what we know we are capable and able of doing. God has already anointed David as king. The spirit of him is already on him. But his brother had the nerve to say, you're prideful, you're wicked, you're insolent. His brother don't know him. Because God says, man looks on the outside, but I look on the inside. 
So he had to overcome the opposition of not only his family doubting him, but he had to deal with the process that he made sure he didn't doubt himself. So look what he does. He, he continues asking and talking to them. And, and look what's happening. This is, this, is, this is beautiful. So therefore, let us discover today how David stepped up to face the opposition of his family, his enemies, his peers, and his own station in life. He had to overcome their view of him, but this was not God's view of him. All this was leading up to David's moment. Moment can be defined as an, an appropriate time for doing something, an opportunity. This was David's moment. Leading up to this moment, David faced opposition from his family. We see how they did not believe in him. We see how he was left out in the consecration service. We see how his brother looked upon him and told him he is, he is evil and wicked, and, and he judges his heart. So now we can find out that David did not give up. And look, because he had faith in himself, it, the word traveled to who? The king. And that the king now wants to have an audience with David. And now that David comes before the king, look what he does. He, he greets the king and tells him, let, let no man's heart fail on account of me. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. Isn't that good news? Everybody else is doubtful. Everybody else is fearful. He comes up before the king says, have no fear. <laughs> I'm going to go fight this Philistine. But if you look at what's going on here, the Philistine has told everybody that if I win, you will all become my slaves. So now, not only is David saying, I can defeat him, he's saying, don't worry about it. your fate is in me. But we realize here that Solomon placed his faith in David, but David's faith was in who? God. And we see here the reason why David was able to overcome so many of those opposites, those negative thoughts, that he did not dwell on what they could do, but he looked on what God can do. Can I help somebody out here to let you know that people can tell you all kinds of things what you can't do, what you're unable to do. They can tell you how you're never good enough, but you can look and say what God can do. And, and so enough, if somebody ever tells you you're not good enough, say, well, that's not what my God said. Because when he made man, he said, very good. So I know I'm good enough. And when people tell you that you're not lovable, that you're unloving, that you can never be loved, yourself, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Am I helping somebody to let you understand that people will tell you everything they can, negativity, but God will speak positive into our lives. And David realized that I turned to God. And so Saul looks at David, though, and says, but you're not able. He looks at, at, at David's experience now. Not only did he have negativity thought from his, his siblings, but now King Saul looks at him and says, you're not experienced enough. You are a youth, but he's been fighting since his youth. You are young, but this is a man, a big man. You know, you, did you see out of the text that he was so big that his armor weighs as much as, a, as, as I do? <laughs> this man is walking around carrying people on his back. And that's his armor. This man is so big, he doesn't carry his own shield. The armor bears in front holding up his shield for him. Because he has a hard enough time holding a spear that has a head of 15 pounds. This man is big, I'm telling you, and so big that they, they hide, they're scared that when they see him, they run. But yet, David once again is, is met with doubt and disbelief that opposes him in his desire to do what he believes he can do. 
Saul looked at Goliath's size and, and, and experience in comparison to David's youth and inexperience. David just saw the opportunity to serve God and give him glory. He did not see an opposition. Look how David responds to Saul. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Since he has taunted the armies of the living God, and David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. David sees all opposition the same as standing between him and God. He realized that he said, I will make this Philistine just like one of them. He made him no different than the lion and the bear. He saw him as an enemy looking to cast harm upon his life and realized if God was able to deliver me from him, he can deliver me from them. Can I tell somebody here to let you understand that no matter what forms against you, if God can deliver you, he will. And if he's done it before, he can do it again. And so David realized that this Philistine is no different than anything else that's come up against me, that has opposed me. I can step up in the name of the Lord. And so now we see how he's overcoming so much negative. Look here. He is the armor bearer of Saul. He's, seen, he's been with Saul in battles and, stand, and holding his arm. And his brothers don't believe in him. His, his king does not believe in him. He might have even have some personal doubt about himself. Say, can I even beat this guy? Because everybody else says I can't beat him. Can I beat him? We talk about how those, those negative thoughts start seeking in, that things start creeping in. Because why? People tell you long enough, you start believing it. In sociology, we call it the self-fulfilling prophecy. If somebody tells you long enough about something, you start believing it, and then you start doing it. But yet, when you start counteracting these negative thoughts and start looking at the positive, look what David did. Every time he did, he looked at the positive. He says he's defying God. God is worthy to be praised. He, he looked at Saul. Saul tells him, you can't do it. But he said, but God did it before, so I know he can do it. We need to look back when people tell us what they can't do, what we can't do, tell them what God can do. So now, look at what David had to overcome before he had even faced Goliath. He was not seen to be the next king by his family. He was left in the field while they were in the service. He was accused by his eldest brother of pride, wicked heart, and being irresponsible because who did he lead the sheep with when he was being obedient to his father and bringing his brother something to eat? Saul doubted that this young, inexperienced shepherd boy could face a man who has been fighting from his youth named Goliath. But because of David's faith in God and in himself, this persuaded Saul to place his faith in David and all of Israel's. But David's faith was in the Lord of Israel. Saul had no way of knowing that this time of opposition before Israel was David's moment as God's anointed and for Israel to be, con to be conditioned to follow after David as their king, who was a man after God's own heart. This great weight was on David for the rules of the battle have already been set by Goliath in verse 7 to 9. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel and said to them, why do you come out to draw up in battle array? Am I not the Philistine you and you are the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down. And he says, what if I win, you become my slaves. But if he wins, we will become your slaves. The rules have already been set. David has already been talked about as being a boy. Y'all see that, right? They said, find a man, but they found a boy. And this boy stepped up at the right moment. Can I help somebody understanding that there's many people that are trying to stop you, who are opposing you, but if you allow them to stop you and oppose you, you might miss your moment. 
Think about David had to overcome his, his brothers not believing him, Saul not believing him, but he believed in God, and God believed in him because God chose him and said, this is the one that's going to be my king. So David had faith and trust in God, realizing that everybody else is against me, but God is with me. So we know this story. We love this story of David versus Goliath. It is used to describe when one is lesser is going against the greater. We love underdog stories. But before David stood before Goliath, he had to deal with those negative thoughts. He had to deal with those who doubt him. He had to deal with those who place him in a position because they believed that he did not have the experience. He did not have the attitude to get there. And I, I remember seeing a message by Pastor Jeffrey Johnson. He was talking about how when he was going to be called to become a pastor, they told him he wasn't old enough. He says, let me live. I'll become old enough. <laughs> he was saying, you, you are doubting me now because of my you, but give me the chance and I'll become older. Sometimes we doubt people because we have our expectations of what should, they should have. But yet when we realize what God has put in somebody we don't know about, but we just trust God. It's amazing how things grow and multiply because we're trusting him, not what our eyes can see. Imagine if they went by what they saw. Then what, look, what, what did they saw? They saw a David who was God's king, anointed king. God chose him and told him he's a man after my own heart. But what they saw was a prideful man, a man with a wicked heart who is irresponsible. They saw Goliath who was insurmountable and they might as well cower in defeat and surrender to him. But I'm so glad that we're not going by what they saw. Because when we start looking from God's perspective, we'll start looking like David. He didn't see an opposition. He did not see a problem. He just saw another chance to give God glory. I'm here to encourage somebody that I don't know what you're going through, but whatever you're going through is just another chance to give God the glory. I, 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 I know many of us are going through some financial stretches and circumstances because of the economy and the hard times and jobs. But I want to hear you tell you that how God spoke to me. I pulled up to the front of our house and I saw a squirrel sitting down with a whole corn of cob. I looked around the house and did somebody plant a cornfield nearby? Where did he get this corn? Because I sure know I don't have any corn in my house. But he had a whole corn of cob and he was just eating. And I got out the car, he looked at me, he took his corn, went to the other side, and said, you're not taking mine. And this is what I said, look at God. If God can give a squirrel in an open field a whole meal, a stock of corn, I showed up, no. He can provide for me. But if I go by what the news is telling me, oh, jobs are bad, economy is bad, where gas is going up, recession is down, but my God owns a cattle on a thousand hill. The earth is his and the fullness thereof. You see how when I shift my perspective, my attitude changed. I could have been crying in the car, said, how God going to take care of me? God, I had the squirrel right there. Let me know. I got your back. I gave this squirrel a whole thing of corn. I soon can take care of you. And you know where I found that piece of corn was in the backyard? That squirrel came back and got the rest of it for later on. <laughs> he hid it right somewhere. I saw it was halfway in. He went, took it back, and got some more. I said, show enough God can provide. So you see, when we start looking from God's perspective, we start seeing things that become possible that other thoughts say is impossible. 
And so we see that David looked at Goliath and he realized that you are going to, look, look, look what happens. Even when he got to his opposition, the opposition talked about him. Say, look at you, little boy. This is my translation. Coming after me as if I'm a dog. You don't have any armor on you. You don't have anything. You want to try to beat me with a stick? <laughs> you must be crazy. You must be out of your mind. I'm going to kill you and leave you for all the birds and the, and the beasts of the air. David looked at him and says, ha ha, you fool. You dare to defile the true living God, the Lord of hosts, the king of the heavenly armies. Our modern trailer, he is the commander in chief. He said what and we do. He says, jump, we ask how high. He tell us move, we say how long. We just do what he tells us to do. That's who I serve. And I want you to know, I didn't come with sword, I didn't come with spear, so that everybody will know that it's God that fights my battles. That we did not win with a sword, no with the spear, but in the name of the Lord. And David showed enough, showed him, I'm not scared, that he ran up to meet him. Said, you think you're troubled? You, here comes trouble. And he took them stone, and you know what the story went. That giant fell. But do you understand, before that moment came, he had to overcome so much stuff. And so think about it right now. Think about how you have to overcome so much negativity in your life. And, and think about how if you allow this negativity to stop you from meeting your moment. The moment that it will be your breakthrough. The moment it will be your time to shine. Because we know the story. After David defeats Goliath, they made a song about him. David slain his 10,000 and saw his thousands. He became famous because of what he did. And the reason why he was able to do it because he believed that God would deliver him. More than his intellect, more than his might, more than the armor that Saul tried to give him. He understood that I will use what God has given me. You too can use what God has given you. And you can face all your oppositions that come against you and they may look big to you. And you may look small to them. But you can both point them out, but we both small before God. <laughs> and so if nothing's bigger than our God, then we have nothing to fear. Because if God is for us, who can be against us? And if we let the Lord fight our battles, how the song says, victory, victory shall be mine. And so just let, just let the Lord fight your battle. Let the Lord fight your battle. Put your unwavering faith and trust in him and obey what he tells you to do and watch how those who were against you will have to end up give you praise. Those who, have, who stood against you will fall down in defeat because the Lord is our light and our salvation. Whom shall we fear? The Lord is the strength of our life. Whom shall we be afraid of? Though the enemy camps around me, they stumble and they fall. Y'all know who wrote that, right? David. Because David was not prideful. He was not wicked in the heart, as brother said. But he was a worshiper and a desire to honor God. And we see that content of his character. Even when he had a chance to kill Saul, who was trying to kill him, he chose not to. Isn't that amazing? They thought they knew him. And David fought against them 
to see his true nature, what God's calling to be. And so we too can fight against those who oppose us, fight those same negative thoughts that come against us, and trust who God, who's put greatness in us, and trust that God will bring greatness out of us. Everybody, every eyes, let's turn to the Lord for prayer.